On June 13, 1957, the Mayflower II, a full-scale reproduction of the ship that bore the Pilgrims to Massachusetts in 1620, arrived in Plymouth Harbor. After a 55-day Atlantic crossing, cheering crowds of thousands welcomed the 180-ton ship and its 33 crew ashore. The event was televised and covered by newspapers around the world. Now, after 60 years hosting millions of guests on the Plymouth waterfront, Mayflower II is undergoing a major multi-year restoration effort. Our guest today is Whit Perry, Plymouth Plantation's Director of Maritime Preservation and Operations. We spoke about the restoration process, all the materials acquisitions and skills, trades and knowledge that are being preserved and paid forward by this restoration project. So let's start with that question, Whit. Where did the Mayflower Restoration Project start? Well, as you know, Hillary, the uh, Mayflower II is coming up on her 60th birthday, and any wooden ship that gets to be 60 years old starts to really need some work. Um, although Mayflower II has had excellent regular and routine maintenance over the years, it just is time for a major refit. And we at Plymouth Plantation in 2013 went to the shipyard for our regular routine bottom painting and inspection and we found some things that were a little discomforting and when we took some planks off in different areas for uh, Coast Guard inspection we at that time realized that it was time to do more than just the basic what we call haircut and shave to the ship and it was time for a major uh, refit. From there what we went to was we had we started getting in talks and collaboration with Mystic Seaport Museum and what we needed to do at that time was more clearly determine the actual scope of the deterioration of the ship and determine exactly more what the ship needed how much it was going to cost develop a timeline for how long it was going to take to be able to do this work and that's what we did during the winter of 2014-2015. We actually took Mayflower down to Mystic Seaport and hauled the ship out of the water and we did what's called uh, what I call exploratory surgery to the ship where we removed planks in different areas um, in the bow and the stern and underneath under the waterline to try and get a look at the frames behind the planking so we could more clearly determine the full scope of the project. So it's February 2017 and this is a major multi-year project. There are at least two years still to go in the restoration. You've done the exploratory surgery. Where are we right now in this process? We knew that in 2015 slash 2016 we couldn't dig right into the ship yet and really pull apart the whole bottom because we planned at that time that we would still come back in for the 2016 season in Plymouth. That would give us a full year and a half to get our ducks in a row, so to speak, mm -hmm. so that we could proceed with the whole restoration. So when we went to Mystic Seaport last winter, we knew that we had to have a very productive winter and couldn't afford to let eight months slip by without doing any work or we would never meet our timeline. 
And our timeline, obviously, is to have the ship ready for 2020, the 400th commemoration of the Pilgrim's Landing at Plymouth Rock. Very important that we have the ship ready, and that is our goal. So last winter, we replaced the whole half deck on the ship, and we worked on the rigging last year as well. We replaced the four and main topmost shrouds with new rigging. We replaced the half deck. We replaced all the foot ropes and jack stays for the yards on the ship. And then we came back to Plymouth. Open for the season, 2016 season. Then um, November 3rd, we left Plymouth and went to Mystic Seaport for this final longer longer term stage of the restoration process. First time Mayflower 2 has been away from Plymouth at Thanksgiving since 1957. We wanted to get an early jump on the winter. It was very important for us uh, this winter to get the ship covered, get, it in, get everything in place so that we could continue this restoration. So at this point, to make a long story longer, um, we have 30 months starting last November, November of 2016, we figured 30 months to finish the project, be back to Plymouth by June of 2019. So right now, to get more succinct to your question, we now can start the more in-depth structural restoration of the ship, where we'll be doing substantial framing and planking work to the ship below the waterline. For the first year, we are concentrating on the lower whale on the port side all the way down under the waterline around to the starboard side lower whale. Everything under the waterline is going to take about the first year for us to complete. Can we do some basic ship anatomy for our listeners who might not be familiar? Um, what different parts of the ship have you been working on so far? You mentioned that piece under the waterline, but can you give us a little bit of a, of a broader picture for those of us who aren't mariners? Sure. So we have the major structural frames of the ship, which are called futtocks. Um, frames are made up of many individual sawn-out curved pieces of heavy timber called futtocks. So one frame of the ship would probably have seven or eight different futtocks trundled together with um, trunnels or tree nails, which are wooden wooden fasteners that are driven through the wood and hold it together. We're also doing in-depth plank repair uh, to the ship. Pieces of the stem, which is right in the bow, the, the most, um, most forward part of the ship that cuts through the water is called the stem, and that's where your plank ends at the forward end of the ship fasten. We're replacing many uh, structural knees. You have what's called a hanging knee, and if you can picture a shelf bracket that holds a shelf on the wall, that's where a hanging knee is on a ship. Below the deck, it ties the side of the ship to the under deck of the ship and creates a, uh, helps create the rigid frame structure that you need for a ship that's underway in the uh, ocean.
What tools and equipment does a project like this require? Are you using 17th century or historic tools, or are you also using modern tools? Well, that's a, that's a good question. One of the reasons we are collaborating with Mystic Seaport is they have the tools and equipment already in place with the shipyard, a wooden shipyard, to work on ships of this size. We're using a mixture of modern tools and historic tools. One of the interesting things about doing this for Mayflower 2, both in 1957 when Stuart Upham built the ship in Brixham, England, and now, and early 17th century when the original Mayflower was built, is there some things that you do on a ship that we still don't have a better tool or an electric tool that'll do the job. So we still use broad axes, we use adds, tools which are for chipping and shaping our frames and planks. Um, we still use um, hand saws. Um, but we also do mix in some modern equipment to help the project along. We use forklifts to move some of the heavy timbers around. Um, each, each frame piece of the fuddock that we have to move can weigh upwards of 1,200 pounds. And while we could still do it with block and tackle and pulley systems, it's much more efficient to be able to use a forklift. We also use a modern aerial lift, an aerial boom lift, that if you picture that the ship is almost 46 feet high when it's out of the water. So for us to be able to access areas on the ship to be able to take planks off and put new planks on, we use an aerial lift to get up high enough and to get and reach into these places that uh, need the new planking. We also use and we also use a ship saw, which is a long band saw that has a tilting table that allows us to um, create the sophisticated changing bevels of the planking and the framing as it fits onto the ship. Um, again, going back to the historical tools that we use, um, a hand chisel and mallets. Uh, all of the mortise and tenon joints or pocket joints that hold all the frames, the deck frames, um, to the clamps are all cut by hand. There's just no real better way to do it on beams this big. Um, so hand chisels, hand planes, adds, broad axe. We do use electric drills instead of hand augers. Again, for the same reason as the that we use a forklift and an aerial boom lift. Getting the right t materials, I imagine, to do this work is essential. Um, what is Mayflower made of, and what is it exactly involved in getting these materials? Mayflower is primarily made of oak, white oak specifically, and being that the ship was built in England, the ship is made of, to get technical, the Latin genus is Quercus rober, which is a European white oak, and what we're doing for the restoration of the ship, we were very lucky to be able to work with the Danish Forestry Service and we received 
over 20,000 board feet of European white oak, Quercus rober, from managed forests to be able to replank the vessel with. Now one of the things to think about, Hillary, is this wood for the planks is three inches thick, it's over two feet wide, and can be up to 40 feet long with zero defects, knots and, and branches and things like that in the ship. And some of that we just can't find domestically in America at this time. So this was a real boon to us to be able to acquire this uh, planking material and for material acquisition incredibly hard. Again, we can't find material of that quality, that length here in, Mass here in Massachusetts or Connecticut. So one of the reasons we started all of this over two years ago is the material acquisition process is a long involved process to find the quality of the wood that we need for the ship to do this restoration. We also were very lucky to work with uh, Berea College in Berea, Kentucky where they've been managing one of their forests for 150 years. They had some beautiful long clear defect-free white oak which is Quercus alba which we're using for most of the frame stock and clamp material on the ship. Um, also the overhead deck beams while very difficult to find uh, we have been able to find domestically in Connecticut and northwestern Massachusetts but it takes putting the word out to your loggers and timber cruisers over a year and a half ago we're just starting to get fruition from putting the word out to these guys to look while they're out in the forest. Yes, we need white oak. These guys are used to getting the straightest white oak that they can find, where what we need for the shape of Mayflower 2 is more curved trees, which loggers are not used to people for there being a market for these curved trees. The biggest materials acquisition problem we're having right now is finding those knees like the shelf brackets I was talking about those knees are made of what's called live oak a different type of oak which is Quercus virginiana and that comes from uh, trees in the south uh, if you picture um, when you're watching any old movies and you see the uh, big spreading oaks with the, all the moss hanging down the Spanish moss hanging down those are your live oak trees that have natural curves and bends to them that we can cut the different parts of the ship out from that have the very curvy shape to them that you can't find in uh, stray socks. So materials acquisition is a very long and hard process because we need that big long straight material for the planking but we need the curved sections for all the shapes that make it a ship. Does historic wooden ship restoration ever come into conflict with natural resource management? Well, you know, it really doesn't. It, um, what we see for modern, especially in America, what we see for modern forestry techniques, we see plantation-grown um, pines and things that are grown very quickly to be able to 
get to market and create the marketable resource as quickly as possible. It gets turned into pulp wood for paper, for cardboard, for pallets, for things where you don't need the huge quality and the old, dense, slow growth wood that makes for the material that lasts the longest in our ships. So, actually, the management process for the woods that we need in the shipbuilding trade take a lot longer to come to market, but they certainly are of, of premium price as well. So it's a matter of patience in the management techniques, and we're trying to get um, the word out in the community that it is worthwhile to more clearly manage our forests even though this is a niche market it's a premium niche market and in fact as I said the white oak we were able to get from Berea College down in Berea Kentucky they were way ahead of the curve as far as um, forestry management practices in that they started managing their 8,000 acres over 150 years ago the wood that we got in Denmark, that wood has been managed for over 200, 250 years. This was managed when they were still building wooden ships. And the Danish had the forethought and necessity to start managing these forests for later generations. I think what happened was in the 70s, the forester went to the king, Denmark's still a monarchy, and said, your forest is ready. And the king's like, well, we don't really build wooden ships anymore. So each year, the harvestable, harvested timber comes on the open market. A little limited amount of marketable timber comes on the open market every year from Denmark. So, no, for, for, ship, for shipbuilding, ship restoration... Uh, wooden ship construction these days, you need such a highly specialized wood that it takes forestry management techniques rather than just going in and clear-cutting something so you can build boats. Can you walk our listeners through this hull replanking process that you talked a little bit about? Where do you start such an enormous project like that? So we start right with the tree. Having, for planking especially, the longer you can make your planks the more frames they go across, the more rigid the structure of the ship will be. You don't want a million small pieces all put together to kind of patch up the ship. You want nice, long, quality pieces of wood, so we start with a good quality tree. It gets felled in the woods, brought out of the woods to the mill, and milling it with, um, right now we're using one of, the, one of the circular mills we're using down in Mystic, Connecticut is from 1929. So then we will cut out the general length and width and thickness of the plank and get it close to what we think we'll need. We started this process again um, almost two years ago. We'll get some seasoning on the planks, which means it will uh, lose some of its uh, moisture content and it'll slowly dry a little bit before we hang hang the plank as it's called on the ship. So now we've got the plank set aside 
you have your shipwright that goes to the ship. First thing we need to do is determine which blanks need to be replaced. We've talked about that a little bit. Your shipwright will then um, carefully remove the plank from the ship. That will take um, many different tools and people to do it. Yeah, you'll you'll drill into the into the side of the plank. You'll use different types of saws and methods to get that plank off of the hull of the ship. You'll then have all your fasteners. The fasteners on Mayflower are over half an inch thick and up to and eight inches long, seven to eight inches long that hold these planks onto the ship. So trying to pull that out of the oak frames is very difficult. We have um, many different tools to do that. Once the plank comes off of the ship, now you have your hole where that plank goes, you need to do what's called um, spiling the plank, which is to make a pattern of the shape of what you want the plank to look like. Very um, difficult to do, rather than just, if you picture a, a deck, the deck that's on the back of your house, all that planking is just as straight as can be. Just lays down on top of your frame structure of your porch or deck, and it's all just straight laid nice next to each other. If you picture the shape of a ship being round and bulbous, when you look at that ship, the planks look straight to you, but they're not. They actually have um, deep curves in them so that when they get bent around the frame of the ship, they can all line up with each other and you can plank up the ship. So spiling is an age-old method using um, a couple of different ways to do it, but the, the oldest, most traditional way would be to use a compass and take many different points off of the side of or the hole where the plank is going to go, transfer them to what's called a spiling batten that can be bent this 40 feet length and have a fair bend to it so that then you can trace it with a pencil onto your plank stock. Then the planks, after you've spiled the plank or made a pattern for the plank, then you'll actually put your lines on the plank and bring to the ship saw to cut it out. Now you're still cutting it oversized. You want it to be big enough because all your work has to be finished by hand. After you've cut it out on the ship saw, the shipwright will use a bevel gauge to get different, all the different bevels along the ship. From fore to aft, there will be many different bevels that need to be transferred to the edges of the plank. And we'll do that after, with the bevel gauge and then using a hand plane, really, we'll then put the angles on the edges of the plank. Then, depending on where you are on the ship, in the bow and the stern where you have lots of shape as opposed to a midships where it's more of a straight run on the ship. Um, so in the bow and the stern then you'll need to actually steam your planks. What steaming does is it makes the planks pliable so that we can then quickly bend them on to the curved sections of the ship. Um, this has to be done. You'll usually um, put the plank in the steam box. 
the rule of thumb for that is is about an hour per inch of thickness. So we have three inch planks. Most of the planks that we'll have to steam to be able to force into position will be in the steam box for three hours. At that point, you quickly assemble many shipwrights and your aerial boom lift is ready, everything's ready because when it comes out of the steam box you have a very limited amount of time before the plank will cool back down in which it's it's amazing that these 40 foot long 3 inch thick planks are almost as pliable as a rubber band and you get it up into place many many clamps and people working with wedges and clamps to get it in the shape that you want and then you let it sit and cool into that shape before final fastening. So all this work, every step that you've just mentioned, is for one piece of planking. That's right. So That's right. for every single square inch of planking on Mayflower 2, you'll have to go through this whole process that you've just laid out for us. So that's, that's, an, right. that's an incredible amount of skill and knowledge and expertise. And it seems to me in our conversation that a really exciting byproduct of this whole project is that we're preserving historic maritime trades and skills, knowledge, passing them on to the next generation. Why do you think this skill set, it's such a niche skill set, but why is it important in our global economy today? Passing down the shipwright skills is very important. One of the things I'm very excited about in this whole job Many of the shipwrights we have, there are schools that are just starting to come into um, existence that teach the hands-on practices. And so what we're able to do um, is actually provide viable work for these younger people to put food on the table and pay the bills doing something that they loved and wanted to learn. Using your hands... And I think that, you know, so much of our society today is getting away from hands-on craftsmanship. And for these youngsters to be able to learn, number one, from the old-timers, as we say, and pass along the, these skills, as I said, especially with spiling and hanging a plank, there's really no different, faster, better, quicker, computerized way to do this. This takes incredible math skills and science skills, knowing the nature of the wood, and then being able to shape it and form it as an old world craftsman just seems to be lost these days. And being able to turn it into a viable career choice and option for um, some younger people is very important to me. Critics might say that it's more cost-effective to build a new ship rather than restore a 60-year-old reproduction. Uh, why is preserving Mayflower II so important? Mayflower II was one of the first reproductions. We had kind of a resurgence in interest in wooden ships as a whole and wooden boats as a whole in the 70s. And for this ship to have been built in 1957 as one of the first of the reproductions, Mayflower II is historic in its own right. It was given to America as a gift of appreciation for America's help during World War II. 
and much like the Statue of Liberty, the Mayflower too is a historic icon that not only tells the story of the early 17th century arrival in the New World for the Europeans, but it also brings forward the skill set, as we talked about, of old world craftsmanship, and we are bringing forth the naval architect that designed Mayflower II, was right from right here in Massachusetts, William Avery Baker. And so preserving Mayflower II for generations to come, Mayflower II is also, we're in the process of applying for Nash, uh, Mayflower II to be listed on the National Register of Historic Places. So preserving the old ship instead of building a new ship is very, very important to us here at Plymouth Plantation. So pulling back, getting the 30,000-foot the view, if you will, Mayflower II is and Mayflower, the original Mayflower, are both part of an age of sail, a time when people lived much of their life around the water, certainly in communities like Plymouth, Massachusetts, um, a lot of communities in, in England, certainly in Mystic, Connecticut, life revolved around the sea. Uh, what do you think, again, in our modern world, what does the age of sail have to teach us? Well, with the education that we do here at Plymouth Plantation and all the um, youngsters that come from the schools as well as adults, one of the things, one of the major things that the age of sail can teach us is threefold. We have anytime you're underway uh, on a ship like this, you're overcoming hardships for almost every job you do. So there's an incredible amount of character development for the people that crew these ships. Um, the second thing that's very important that we bring forward is think of the size of Mayflower 2 and the teamwork that's involved to be able to sail this ship. So not only does it help with leadership abilities for some of the crew that are um, leading the evolutions of sail tacking and wearing of the ship, but sometimes if you think about the halyards for your topsails, you need to put 10 people on one line to be able to pull that sail and pull the yard up to get that sail going. So we have character development for all of our um, people, teamwork, it instills great teamwork and camaraderie, and then if you pull into it the science, these ships from the early 17th century are, were then incredibly sophisticated machines. If you think about it, when these people came to America on Mayflower, the original Mayflower, that would be like us today going to the moon. How did you get involved with maritime restoration? Interestingly enough, um, the first boat I ever restored was an old town canoe, 15-foot old town canoe. And now I am involved with all the wonderful people restoring Mayflower to uh, a big, large ship. It's been an incredible, incredible journey. I got involved, um, grew up here in Massachusetts and a summer place in New Hampshire. We had wooden boats. My family had wooden boats all our lives, and I started sailing with my uncle when I was young, and we had um, old wooden lake boats that just required the usual upkeep, and with my father and brothers and sisters, we would maintain those boats ourselves, and one day, after 
high school and lots of reading of lots of books and lots of going through the school of hard knocks to learn this stuff, uh, somebody asked me to do their boat, their old town canoe, for pay. And I was like, really? Someone's going to pay me to do this? And that became uh, a lifelong career for me. What do you love most about what you do? For me, it's a blending of everything we just talked about. To be able to take something from my mind and work with all the people that I work with to then make or restore a physical organic object out of wood using the combination of modern tools and old tools to preserve history is fantastic. Um, the esoteric part of me just loves the shape of a boat, any boat. I really truly have the sickness. Anything from a rowboat to a canoe to a modern sailboat to a 17th century square rigged bark galleon hull like Mayflower just really does it for me. Want to learn more? Download or stream all of our full-length episodes from SoundCloud or iTunes. For more podcast news or to hear new episodes first, join the conversation on our social media channels or visit us online at www.plymouth.org. This project was made possible in part by the Institute of Museum and Library Services, Museums for America. The Plymouth Plantation Podcast is hosted by Hilary Goodnow and produced by Tom Begley with Plymouth Plantation Incorporated. Our theme music was composed by John Dante Previdini. Thanks for listening.